Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Happy 2021, everybody. I'm going to call this episode 29 the final episode of season one of Full Scope. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. I really appreciate it. If you have any feedback, please email me or let me know. And if you'd like to rate the pro- the podcast, I'd really appreciate that as well. I want to spend this episode recapping some of the most important ideas from Season 1. I want to talk about some of the most important lessons or observations regarding society and the COVID-19 pandemic response for 2020. And then I want to give you a little bit of a primer for what Season 2 of Full Scope is going to be all, all about. Full disclosure... This will not be a medical knowledge podcast. So if you want just dense, clinically useful, very interesting medical knowledge, go ahead and tune out and listen to a different one of the podcasts. 2020 brought us some good things. For instance, we've now modernized our ability to get work done remotely. We've created new technology for the development of vaccinations via messenger RNA. And I've learned that wearing a surgical mask while recording these podcasts can help minimize mic pops. But while successes exist, the hallmark of 2020, at least to me, is really failure. We failed on so many accounts, but here's the good part. Failure is our greatest teacher, which makes 2020 the ultimate learning year. All right, the first thing I wanted to bring up is the distinguishment of a society between wartime and peacetime. Never during the COVID-19 pandemic did the United States say, we are at war and that's why we're going to mandate that people do crazy things like shut down their business, wear a mask everywhere they go, etc., etc. If you want to place demands on the general public under the idea of an emergency, That is totally fine. Societies have to do that. But really, you need to declare a state of war or a state of emergency. But we haven't done that. We've been trying to run our hospitals the way we always have. Do our taxes the way we always have. Do everything else, essentially, the way we always have, but with a bunch of additional rules on top of us. I'll give an example. You've probably heard many, many times this last year that the hospitals are nearing capacity. What does that actually mean? Well, in the hospital, we have this cookie-cutter way that we take care of people. They have a certain ratio of nurses and doctors to patients. 
There is a ton of paperwork which needs to ha be completed so that you can bill and collect money appropriately. Certain notes need to be written. All these different boxes need to be checked in order to take care of patients in the hospital. Now, at the same time, only a few of those boxes actually add value to the patient, meaning that they help the patient get better, help them recover, help them get back home or wherever they need to go. Most of the stuff is just done for uh, regulation, billing, and paperwork. And so we've never really been close to capacity. If you said to me, Bill, I want you to take care of as many patients as you can. You don't need to worry about doing notes anymore. Please just write one sentence about what the patient has and what you're doing to them. Don't worry about submitting bills. We're going to cancel these meetings, and we want you to take care of as many people as you can take care of. How many people could you see? I would literally say that I could see 50 to 100 people a day. Now, under the normal regulations, the normal paperwork burden, normal meetings, etc., I can see about 15 to 20 patients a day. And so if we were operating in a real wartime situation, we would get rid of all that extra administrative stuff. We would say, we're not going to spend time billing for patients right now. We're in a pandemic. You're a doctor. Treat patients. Treat as many of, you, as, as, many of them as you can. They're lining up out the doors. This is the important distinguishment. Are we in a time of crisis, of emergency, of war? If so, we can implement emergency plans, rules, etc. to do more stuff very quickly. Or are we at peacetime? Do we need to follow all the normal peacetime rules? This is a very important distinction. And while we've been sort of acting like we're at wartime throughout this entire pandemic, our government and societies have run as if we're at peacetime. And this has created a lot of confusion and a lot of problems. So I think being very, very clear about when we're at war, when we're at peace, and what the given rules are would be very important if a disaster like the COVID-19 pandemic started in the future. And I, I think if you're really planning on telling people you have to shelter at home, you've got to close your business, you've got to wear a mask in public, do any of those overarching things, it really needs to be as part of a declaration of war or a declaration of emergency. And I should add the caveat that while I can see 50 to 100 patients a day if I don't have any administrative burden, my care is certainly going to be a lot worse if I have to see a lot, a lot of patients. And that goes for mostly everyone. So when the hospitals are full, when they are nearing capacity, it is a problem because the care people get does suffer. The next thing that I want to comment on about the pandemic is it has highlighted how upside down we are as a society. We do not prioritize our children. Our children are our future. They're the most important thing. And this to me reflects an entirely broken society. I'm going to give you an example. School is just fundamentally important to a developing brain. We are literally downloading data into their brain during a time when those downloads have a high probability of working very well. This is time that they won't get back. Those developing years are so, so important. 
when you have a society that has schools closed to stop the spread of the pandemic, but yet casinos, nightclubs, strip clubs, and bars are open, we have a serious, serious problem. COVID-19 has shown that we are completely upside down with regard to valuing the youth of our society. And this was really hard to watch throughout the year. The next big lesson is just how profoundly unhealthy we are in the United States. Our obesity is now approaching 50%. Kids are being disproportionately affected by this. And as a result, we have become so unhealthy that we are so prone to having a bad reaction to any infection that comes through our population. There's a reason why, say for instance, a lot of the countries in Southeast Asia had a lot less problems with battling COVID-19 infection than a lot of U.S. citizens. And I think it has to do a lot with the general health of the citizens living in, in our country and other countries. This should have been an absolute spotlight saying it is time to focus on our health. Eating healthy, exercising, taking good care of yourself are not just important because they make you feel good. They're important for survival. <laughs> they will keep you alive, keep you healthier, make you more productive. We missed on that one. We should have been talking about that nonstop the whole pandemic. Now, I get it. It's hard to just rail on people when they're down, and a lot of people didn't want to hear how awful their health was. But I tell you what, people's health didn't get better over the course of the year 2020. They got heavier, more sedentary, and more chronically ill. The next thing, we're just terribly unprepared from a disaster preparedness standpoint. Our logistical capabilities, planning, the training that had already been put in pay, place, and communication have all been lacking from every level of government throughout the entire year of 2020. And it's been a big problem, people. It's so important to think about potential problems or disasters, plan for them, train for them, put protocols in place, and be ready when these things come up. We are not ready as a society. Again, we will see worse pandemics, worse disasters. Let's get ready and let's handle them better in the future. In looking at China having gotten rid of their COVID very, very early on in the pandemic, and then mostly just watching out for new cases being brought in from the outside, versus the U.S., which has never had any control of the pandemic, I have to say, I think going with the militarized, aggressive state early on with multinational cooperation, getting rid of the pandemic within a few months and going back to normal life would have been better than dragging this thing on all year. If we could have truly locked down and truly had a coordinated effort, 
we could have potentially been done with this virus by the summer without a vaccine. And in the future, especially if we're dealing with a more deadly virus, say one that kills 5, 10, 20% of the population, I think we need to take that aggressive strategy early, get this thing out of our, out of our population, and move on with life rather than just letting it drag on all year long. Or you just ignore it altogether. Wow, less than 1% is not a bad enough infection for me to even care. We're just going to let it happen, gear up our hospitals, get this done, and be done. Both ways are fine. You just have to make your declaration and move forward. But I think the middle ground of letting it drag on all year is a mistake. As a young professional in their 30s, it was pretty hard for me to watch a lot of the individuals in power that were in their 7th and 8th decades of life calling all the shots. We really don't have doctors in the hospital that are in their 8th decade of life, and it's rare to see people in their 7th decade of life. And the, the reason is really simple. As people get older, their minds aren't as quick. Uh, they don't have as much energy. Uh, they can't stay as logical uh, for as long. And th their minds are more prone to getting thrown off when they get an infection or any type of insult. And so, you know, when I watch a president, the leader of the CDC, our governor in Idaho, and I see all these super old people, and then I think about how a lot of my older patients, you know, they get one urinary tract infection, and it just throws them off mentally for a couple weeks. It's really scary to me. Um, I think we need to put a lot of these older folks in a more consultant type role. They need to be offering their advice and experience, but I'd really like to see people in their fourth, fifth, and sixth decades really calling the shots and running the show. Minds are just so much quicker in those decades of life, and I think we need to, to kind of reel in this idea that anyone elected needs to be uh, just very, very elderly. I think that's a problem, and certainly during a emergency-type situation. You know, I just don't know if, if grandpa or grandma or whoever should be in charge necessarily. I think that, that should fall on um, younger shoulders, if you will. So, some good came out of 2020. A lot of bad came out as well. And an extraordinarily large amount of lessons were learned. Okay, let's talk about some general lessons. Not necessarily related to the COVID-19 pandemic, but just things that were happening in society that were alarming to me. And the first most obvious thing is the food that we eat. The United States and many other countries now are joining us in becoming increasingly overweight and obese. In 2020, more than half of us are now obese, and children are disproportionately affected. This is leading to numerous other chronic health conditions, a sedentary lifestyle, and a bad next 50 years for our society. We have got to stop pushing high-calorie, low-nutrient, processed, fake foods on our children. They are being pummeled 
with advertisements regarding junk food day after day after day, and it's starting to show. One, we need healthy, nutritious, sustainable food available to all of us, and we need to protect our kids from being pummeled with advertisements about trash that will shorten their lifespan and make it so they can't do the things they like. Food is perhaps our biggest problem right now. And right there with food is chemicals. We spray our foods with so many pesticides and herbicides these days. A number of these chemicals have had to have been removed from society, like DDT, uh, the insecticide, because we learned over time that it was harming people and harming the environment in catastrophic ways. At this time, we are literally just ruining the planet. I mean, our air has got tons of extra gases and smog that shouldn't be in there that are the result of industry. Our ocean is just polluted. It's filled with plastic micro and macro particles that are being swallowed and killing birds, fish, and other wildlife. Our land is also becoming polluted. We are using chemicals which we don't know what they do to the body, but they bioaccumulate, meaning that they get into life forms and any life form that eats them, it then goes into their body and accumulates as you go up the food chain. This is bad stuff, people. We are using chemicals and products that we do not know how to get rid of from our environment. This includes even plastic, which we make trillions and trillions of pounds of. We have got to get into a cycle where we only manufacture things that we know how to handle both the byproduct and recycle them after their useful shelf life is over. The willy-nilly days of creating uh, trillions of tons of non-reusable plastic and then just having them accumulate in the ocean over time has to die or it's going to kill all of us with it. And I'm going to spend a lot of season two talking about some of these bad chemicals and these bad players that are letting these things out. And so if you're interested in that, look forward to season two. Social media has also, I believe, come to a head. These social platforms use artificial intelligence to gain our attention and control our behavior such that we buy things and continue to use the platforms for ridiculous amounts of time. This has been devastating, particularly to young people. Our most valuable resource as as a humans is our attention. It's our time and even more specifically our attention. And anything that is grabbing the attention of our young people and pulling them away from school, real social relationships, extracurricular activities and family is a problem. We have seen suicides skyrocket in kids and teenagers in the United States, this has go, uh, this has correlated exactly with the increasing use of social media by these groups in this country. I think this is a problem. We need to jump on this thing right now. We need to make regulations that demand that the artificial intelligence algorithms are created in such a way that they better the people using them. 
They better the kids and the teenagers. They improve their life. This is going to need to be done by a multidisciplinary team. It's, it's a perfect endpoint that we will probably never actually reach, but we will continue to strive toward. But we need to get doctors, child psychiatrists, social workers, teachers, uh, politicians, and software engineers on board with this plan all together in the room creating strategies that are going to make healthy kids and not unhealthy kids. We are at a pivotal point where we can either become the slaves of artificial intelligence and a few humans that control it, or we can start to use this artificial intelligence technology to better us. And if we do the latter, we're going to pay big as a society, or we're going to win big as a society. I talked a lot about pharmaceutical drugs in season one. I use these medications all the time. I am a medical doctor, but for most chronic disease states, lifestyle needs to be the first intervention. Pharmaceuticals can help improve the overall state of a disease. They can lower the risk of adverse outcomes like strokes and heart attacks. However, they have to be taken every day. They have long lists of side effects, which can be additive with multiple medications. And as soon as they are no longer taken, their benefit goes away. On the contrary, changing lifestyle has the potential to improve and even sometimes cure these diseases. A lot of people have become disenfranchised with the general medical establishment because we've been so aggressive at pushing medications and so passive about encouraging our patients to exercise and change their lives. For this reason, we've seen the growth of, of what many people call the alternative medicine industry, as well as the growth of other subsets within general medicine like functional medicine and uh, natural medicine and, and other disciplines like that. And so we really need to get off this dependent state that we are on pharmaceuticals and start depending on our lifestyle to cure our disease. I tell you, lifestyle works a lot better than most of these pharmaceutical drugs. It's cheaper and you also feel much better and have a much pr more productive life when you're doing all that lifestyle type stuff. I really love outer space. I think about planets, solar systems, galaxies, the universe all the time. And space medicine and helping humans eventually be able to live and thrive in space is something that I hope to be a part of uh, as I grow in my career. And I'm going to start bleeding in some aerospace medicine topics into the podcast for that reason because it is so interesting so look for that as well in season two but I want to say that space exploration is really exciting for me because I think it's really going to improve the sustainability of our manufacturing and living processes for instance if you're trying to create food in space let's say you're growing crops and you're in space, you're not going to bring on a few new tons of fertilizer every year. You're not going to create a ton of waste 
and be tilling and stuff. What you're going to create is a system where you are needing very few new inputs every year and able to recycle materials year after year for continuous production. And it is that sustainable cycle of not creating toxic waste, not needing a ton of inputs, but generating the food that's needed that represents a cycle that we need more of on Earth, and not just with food, with every one of our manufacturing processes. So when you send someone to space, you can't afford to have a bunch of waste. You can't afford to require a bunch of inputs. You've got to do things efficiently. Things have to be sustainable. And I think as we push further and further into space, it's going to force us to come up with technologies that are going to achieve these endpoints. Hopefully, we are going to then apply them to Earth, and we are going to not have so much, so many issues with polluting our entire environment, with having to manufacture new inputs every year, which then further pollute our environment. So. I think space is really cool for a number of reasons, but I think it's f one thing that maybe people aren't thinking of is that it's really going to improve our manufacturing and our ability to keep things sustainable. All right, that's my quick season one recap. A lot of non-medical stuff, but after this unprecedented year, 2020, I thought I should recap some of the lessons learned and also bring up some of the other things in society that are terrifying me. Namely, how shitty our food is, how many chemicals we dump on our water, our air, and our land, how social media is controlling our brains and putting us in very negative headspaces, how pharmaceutical companies have grown to this beast because of our growing unhealthiness, and we've got to shift our focus back to lifestyle and away from these band-aid type drugs. And then finally, how space could potentially save our manufacturing practices and maybe even our planet. Okay, that is season one of Full Scope. In season two, we're going to focus on travel, occupational and environmental medicine, wilderness medicine, and aerospace medicine. I think these disciplines within medicine are underrepresented in the podcast community and they are of great interest to me and so I'm going to focus on them you're gonna see a lot of shows involving this topic and I really really hope you enjoy it we're still gonna put in some general medicine stuff some hospital medicine stuff but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little exotic on you guys this next season is going to have shorter episodes I'm gonna try and keep the episodes under 30 minutes I'm going to try and tell a story with each episode and I'm going to try and make them more focused on key points, key learning points as opposed to uh, just a lot, lot, lot of information. Boo! Thank you so much for tuning into the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, d disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. 
It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.